Hey, Queeros, Cameron here, and I am so excited to report that Take My Wife was a huge success thanks to all of you. We were at number one and two on iTunes for the whole week. This feels like a huge win for us. In fact, it went so well in the U.S. and Canada that we are going to get to do worldwide distribution for the show. I promise if you live outside of the U.S. or Canada to keep you informed about when you can grab Take My Wife. It's also available, I think, now on Amazon and Google Play, but we just appreciate you so much. Um, And I also want to let you know that I will be in Grand Rapids this coming weekend. So yay, see you in Grand Rapids. For today's episode, it's a wonderful conversation with Jeffrey Marsh. I will say this is the first episode that I ever did um, remotely. So Jeffrey was in New York and I was in LA. I haven't listened back to it, but I will say that it was it was a learning experience for me. Um, so I hope that it turns out uh, beautifully and that you love it. And I hope that you support Jeffrey in everything that they're doing. And um, cheers. Have a great day and enjoy the app. I've been feeling wrong, but I'm still holding on, darling, I know, I know, I know it's careless. Today is a very exciting day because this is our first call-in episode, and like I was saying to our guest, I cannot believe this actually works because I can't see you, but I can hear you. I assume that... You're a ghost, and um, I can feel you from across the nation. <laughs> wow! How do I feel? Very sweaty, I assume, because that's how I feel on this part of the nation. Um, well, you know what? On Query, we do a special thing. We is me. I sometimes slip into the royal we, but I uh, ask guests to introduce themselves. So, would you introduce yourself? I would be happy to introduce myself. We have to pause first so that I can compliment you because I was thinking about you and doing the podcast today and I got this vision of a Venn diagram. Do you remember those from school? Of course. And there's like in one circle, I'm I'm across the nation as we've we've discussed. So you can't see my gesture, but I know that I'm acting all of this out. <laughs> There's one circle and one circle says positivity and the other circle says real. And you and I are in like the overlap part. Yeah. But so many people are in the positivity part without the real part or the real part that's, that's incredibly snarky, but doesn't have any elements of positivity. And then I'm delighted to be in the middle section with you. Oh, well, I've, I mean, I feel great that you, that you think I'm in there with you because I feel like your positivity is... Well, anyway, introduce yourself because I want to then talk further about this because I feel like there's some very cool... the whole podcast. No, I just feel like there's some great stuff to be said in there in that moment. But yeah, give, I, us, give us your deets. I am deets. an author. Okay. I am an author and an activist and I work most closely with LGBTQ youth and I am the most prominent non-binary star to date and I was the first non-binary author with a big five publisher so we can talk about that process of teaching a publisher how to use they them pronouns for example or how to um, talk about non-binary identity and what is your and what is your beautiful name Jeffrey Marsh M-A-R-S-H so Jeffrey, I think someday I'll get to I'll get to the spot where I don't spell it anymore. Right? <laughs> Will that happen someday? <laughs> we'll I don't know. I mean, it's unclear. People think my name is Carmen Esposito all the time, and so uh, I'm I am ready. I am anxiously awaiting the day that like fame and f- fame. I'm not sure I'm chasing mm-hmm. fame so much as like justice, you know. But if I if fame makes people not say that my name is Carmen, I'm I'm in. You're here for it. I'm here for it. Yes, because <laughs> it's I'm ready to. I'm like ready to. I'm ready to not uh, have those conversations, which actually is a great segue back to what you were talking about. So when did you start yeah. going by they them pronouns? When did you start using they them pronouns? This was actually about four or five years ago. And I feel like... And it was something... 
Oh, no, go ahead. I was going to say, I feel like today it's like, at least in the queer community, there's rumblings of there's some sort of like table dressing that has been set for people to then say, I actually have. I use they them pronouns. Obviously, you know, four or five years, this has been like such a rapid advancement that I four or five years ago, you're out there asking people to use they them pronouns. What are you getting back? <laughs> I'm getting back either more than one of you. Right. <laughs> right. This is this is um it's so weird that people use their grammatical policing as a form of queerphobia, really. In the right. sense that our language changes all the time and we've it's not gonna be perfect, but we need to acknowledge that there are those of us who are not men or women. And we need the language to catch up to that identity. Right. Absolutely. And also, I mean, it's as simple as, you know, I think part of that is like just training your ears. I mean, if anything that is a new, like people are literally talking about that is in, that is a different sentence construction that I'm used to. So therefore, like you can't have your identity. I mean, that's wild, first of all. Um, But then, Mm -hmm. you know, I have to say, when I first started using they or them pronouns for for friends of mine, there's like a moment where at the very beginning, I don't even know, for like a period of a week where where I was thinking, this sounds different than what I'm used to. But Mm -hmm. that is a pretty quick adjustment. (laughs) Like, you know know what I'm... It's a... Yes. I mean, just... Even just rewiring our brain to understand something verbally is not, it's not a long process. I guess what I'm saying is if you are somebody who's listening to the podcast and they, them pronouns don't sound correct to you in your own head now, use them, use they, them pronouns for a little bit for friends of yours, for strangers, because it doesn't really, it doesn't harm anybody to use they, them pronouns and train yourself so it doesn't sound weird to you. Like it's actually kind of on you, right? Well, yeah, I didn't know we were going to go here, but yeah, it's the person, uh, the phobic person's job to get over it. Exactly. I don't exactly. know if that's exactly what you're saying. No, but that's, that's, that's what I'm, I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm saying is I think it's, it is your, yes. I think there are people even within the queer community who are trying to adjust and that's exactly what I'm saying, which is that like, okay, so how many things you've overcome in your life, I'm pretty sure you, person in the queer community, could also overcome that it may sound grammatically correct, incorrect to you for one week to use they, them pronouns for somebody else, right? Like, that's it's yeah. the least you could do, and it's not a difficult process um, well, to get used to it. I, yes, and what I find so beautiful about you and how smart you are is that it, it goes, you're pointing to something greater with this. Phobia, queer phobia from within the queer community is a huge issue that both of us in our work try to undermine. It's one thing to work to undermine, to be an activist and work to undermine, you know, what straight people in Arkansas think of you. And both of us do that too. But there's also the sense that we want to create a wide open, inclusive community from wherever the vantage point is, even if that's in a room full of, of LGBTQ people. Do you know what I mean? I love that. Well, that is actually part of the reason that I first started, I don't know, not, I don't know what the, like really marking the things that you were saying, I guess, because just visually looking at you um, in the only way I've looked to you, which which is like, you know, through the internet and social media, I seeing know, your we're face. I across the country. Yeah. It's so sad. I can't look into your yeah. eyes. <laughs> but seeing your face and, you know, I, I, and seeing you wearing makeup, but then sometimes having um, facial hair. And for me, mm-hmm. you know, I think that is like, first of all, you look great. And thank you. Yeah. Noted. <laughs> and second of all, you know, I actually feel more. When I look to somebody like you, I feel more at, at home wearing makeup because the 
person mm-hmm. that I am on the spectrum, you know, a lot of times when I first started having to wear makeup because of my job and that you look like very ill on television if you don't have serious makeup on your face. Yeah. Um, yeah. For, for me, that was a jump because I didn't wear makeup in my personal life. And so then I would have to wear makeup on screen and on camera. And I would feel um, like almost that I was a different person. And I started thinking of Bowie. Like David Bowie is really the person that made me mm-hmm. feel like it was okay to wear makeup because that person, I feel like I have more in common gender wise with that person than mm-hmm. like, you know, whoever. I'm literally just gonna say Selma Hayek. I don't know why I said that name. That's just the first <laughs> name that I could think of. Um well, you know, so I, yeah, so I feel like you and <laughs> no, I Selma, but. <laughs> but I feel like you and I, you know, like if I whether or not this is readily available to other people ex- externally, if I look at your face with makeup on it, to me you look like me. Like we actually look yes. like each other to me. Um, Mm -hmm. so thank you for creating space that way. Well, both, and both of us hopefully are walking metaphors. Right. I don't know if you've gotten, gotten to the point where you, to me, it's something that I've embraced that whoever it is who might be cisgendered and only, and not, doesn't think that they know any LGBTQ people and they live in Arkansas and they're conservative or whatever. I have had that kind of person email me and say, if you can be yourself, so can I. So regardless of where we might want to go, and we talked about, we just talked about, you know, being in queer spaces versus maybe not, you know, the the metaphor I hope is for all of humanity. Everybody has felt like an outsider and like they're, they have to change themselves in order to be acceptable. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I couldn't agree more. And in your life, when you are leaving your home to sort of walk around New York, you live in New York full time, right? You live in the city? Most of the time. I yeah. do have a place in LA, LA as well. I'm not there at the moment. Mm. The next time I'm coming. <laughs> I'll see you so you leave your home in New York. And for people that like are not familiar with sort of your presentation, your the way that you walk around through this through this uh, world, I would say, world. yeah, I mean, could you describe what you leave your house wearing and and talk sure. you through what that response might be from folks on the street? Well, it's interesting because New York is a beautiful place. And for the most part, people either give me a very positive response and I'll describe what you know, what I generally wear in a second. They give me a very positive response or they just completely are doing something else. And I am not nearly the uh, most interesting thing that they'll see. In a right, day. because there's like a rat eating pizza, playing the violin, and the rat is the street musician. Yes, I, New York is full. <laughs> New York is full of uh, interesting things to look at. So there's like the abs- rat is also doing physics. I mean, yes, yes, ex- exactly. Real. New York is very um, full of uh, sights, sounds, and smells. So absolutely true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So what's interesting is I will wear stuff that I would like to wear. And that usually is, you said eyeshadow and facial hair? Yes, most of the time. Uh, T-shirt, skirt, if I have a meeting, it's a blouse, or sometimes it's trousers. I mean, the the interest, I, I like to wear heels, actually. I find them comfortable. But that's probably another story. The presentation is all over the place. And depends on how I feel and has masculine and feminine and something else and both and neither and all of it mixed together. And hopefully is chic AF, as the kids say. Yeah, I think you look chic. I wonder when we will have <laughs> I wonder when we will have another word to put in there. Because I've been struggling with that too. It's like you another you have word for what? Well, you have to say masculine and feminine. Like you have to because mm-hmm. those are the words that we know to describe a thing. Like they have they have a tangible property. So I don't think that 
it's helpful to destroy language. I think it's kind of helpful to just create mm-hmm. more language, right? So we just need more words or we need expanded thought. I don't think we have it yet, though, yeah. because even when I talk about, like, for instance, like what might be different between my gender and like my wife's gender, I, there's like it's hard to um, it's just really hard to, to describe it because we don't have words that aren't like these binary words or words that don't mean loaded things anyway, because mm-hmm. like what is masculine, you know, like blah, blah, blah. You can you can break down all of the language uh, so much. Mm-hmm. And so I wish that or I, I can't wait because I think it will happen. I can't wait for us to just like continue these conversations and have other even richer things to say. I mean, do you find oh, li- yeah. yourself limited by language at all, especially as somebody who you know writes and speaks for a living? It's like, how do you how have you arrived on the words you use? Well, uh, trial and error, yeah, as you might expect. I mean, it's so interesting because the work that the brilliant work that you did with Take My Life is um, pause, shed a tear. <laughs> sure. The world is the worse off. Um, the brilliant work that you did on that was not necessarily like let's explain queer experience to everybody. It just was what it was without shame. And that is a truly radical place to come from. So when I talk to the kids, which I do a lot, travel around talking to the kids, I emphasize you it's not about getting the words right necessarily. It's about how you're approaching other human beings. And you don't have to get your label right or even somebody else's label right as long as you're willing to talk about it and open up and be kind and learn and... I love that because that is something that I, you know, certainly on this podcast and then also just in the world, even this podcast has like an intro, mm, I don't know, 30 seconds or something that's on every episode that really is trying to say Mm -hmm. what you're saying there, which is that like, these are, this is two people having a conversation and then they're using the best words that they can and they're trying to listen to each other. And I think part of what you know, social media and the internet has been so positive in connecting us with each other. Like, I wouldn't, there'd be no reason for us to know each other. We, I wouldn't know, you know, oh, no. you know, we wouldn't be able to. Know. So that's great. And it has led to this conversation. But also the limitation mm-hmm. of listening, like you can't, it's not actually a listening system. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So the limitation there is that, and this isn't even like, some you could almost fall into the the trap of talking about like PC culture or sensitive or censorship like that's not what I'm talking about what I'm saying is we're reacting mm-hmm. to each other from like a very superficial level because that's what that is what social media allows us to do so the oh, yeah. you know there's no replacement for like getting in a room with each other and trying to figure out how to communicate which is why when I in that little thirty second preamble that I'm talking about, I say like, you know, you can give me feedback, and and if it's polite, I would love to have a conversation with you. But like, I would much rather that people go have a conversation with actual people they can look into the eyes of, because that's when we will mm-hmm. make strides. I think as a community and as a family is when we're actually mm-hmm. taking these lessons and like trying to talk it out. Yes, amen. <laughs> Thank you. Where are you from? I'm gonna, can I tell you? A, oh yeah. Uh, well, no. The middle, I'm going to tell you a tiny story though, and then I'll tell you where I'm from. Okay, great. It'll be a cliffhanger. Oh, where are you from? I don't know. Story time. Let's go. Ellipses. I was. I my manager got a call from Newsmax, which is the main Fox News competitor, and they're conservative cable news, and they film here in New York City. There's there's you know, studios are here in New York City. And they were doing a segment about how uh, they, them pronouns and different identities are proliferating college campuses. And so they had a panel of people on to talk about how dumb that was and how it doesn't prepare our students for the real world and how Jesus doesn't like it and whatever else they had to say. And then the segment after that was an interview with me as kind of this counterpoint. And my manager and I had to discuss what you and I are discussing right now. Okay, this is where the rubber meets the road. 
if I want to be in situations and rooms where I can do good on the planet, it's not always going to be the most comfortable spot to be in. And so part B of that story is I go to the studio and loving it and having a great time with the makeup person and the sound person and we're on set and they're um, touching up my makeup before the cameras roll. And the host is sitting there and I say to the host, oh, I'm sure my manager told you, but I use they, them pronouns because I'm used to having to sort of, you know, check in before we get started, make sure people are on the, the page with me. And so I make a joke. I'm like, well, you know, during your intro, you probably want to say they are brilliant. They wrote a book. That's awesome. You know? And the host says to me, I talk however I talk. So you're just going to have to correct me on air if you want to correct me. Wow. And then the cameras start, start to roll. The cameras turned on right in that instant. We were sitting at the table and it was go time. And all I could think of was the that it's he's he's welcome to feel however he wants to feel, but it was not about him. It was about reaching somebody who could see the metaphor we were talking about, because whoever grandma or whoever happened to have Newsmax on, do you know what I mean? And that's what it was about. Yeah, I do know what you mean, absolutely. And how how did the rest of the interview go? Like, what was that experience? What happened next? Oh, fine. <laughs> As sometimes happens in these uh, moments, he asked about my uh, anatomy um, and, you know, how that relates to identity. And I was able to talk about broader topics than whether your parts mean you're a boy or a girl. But, I mean, I'm feeling for you, though, because... I mean, oh, don't. sure you, I mean, I, well, but the idea of, I, I just, I, I asked for it. Okay, sure, sure, fair. I'm not saying that in a masochistic way, but I'm saying this, that is my mission. That's what mm. fuels me. That's why I'm here. Yeah, okay. So I mean, I, I get that. I get that because sometimes people will say to me like, oh, do you hate speaking for your community as a like a representative? And I'm like, no, I'm choosing to because if it's not me, it's somebody else who's outside of the community and blah, blah, blah. And I have a whole answer to it. So I understand. I think it's more so just like literally thinking about the larger culture. um, And I mean, just in this country, we really just kind of like hate bodies (laughs) like we just like hate that we have bodies (laughs) like Mm -hmm. like just baseline like private you know like uh just the idea that it's even called that they're like private parts or that like certain nipples are censored in on instagram and certain nipples aren't or like how we patrol thinness or fatness or skin color or literally everything body hair you know like the fact that there is an ideal for every possible thing and then you know, I think in that culture, when the identity that you're talking about has like any remote relationship to sexuality, sex or genitalia, that it's just like it, this is a tough culture to talk about that in because we have we don't we're not coming in you mean America in general. <laughs> what culture? Are you yeah. No, America. Yeah. Like America in general does not like body parts. Like we don't like bodies. We don't like sex. We don't like um, we don't like any of that. So, I mean, I think about like when I was coming out and I would have to talk about I would have to, you know, like weigh in my mind. Am I coming out to my grandmother right now? Because like sexuality, genitalia, gender, like those things are implied in a conversation I'm having with my grandmother. And we're taught to be ashamed of all of that, you know? So then you're on television and somebody's asking you about your body. I mean, I'm not thinking about necessarily like the specificity of that, more so just like, ugh, the idea of being on television and somebody asking me about my body stresses me out. <laughs> Does it not stress you out? Can you handle that? You're okay? Yeah. I mean, because I kind of knew it was coming. And I don't mean to be like, oh, you know, poor me. But it was a, it's a question I get asked a lot. And I don't mind saying, 
So there was the whole kerfuffle with Laverne having to tell Katie Couric, please don't ask me about my genitalia. Right. On television. Right. And I come at it from a very different angle that I don't mind if people know that I have a penis. Because to me, it's, it's something that doesn't make you a man, which I know is like the most radical thing <laughs> to ever say. But to me, it's not radical because... I know that there's more to my personal gender story than what's in this physical form. Now yeah. we're getting spiritual. <laughs> what else is in there that's spiritual? What 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 do you connect with? I've well, I've studied Buddhism for fifteen years. And so much of that is moving away from who you were taught to be and who you are taught you are. And I found that so as I travel the country, especially talking to young LGBTQ people, that that is something that we, I don't want to lump everyone together, but I'm going to compliment our community. <laughs> but that's something we can offer is we see through the societal BS around a lot of things before some of our compatriots who are not LGBTQ do. And so we can offer this sort of outsider perspective, which might make us feel awful at first, but when we realize we do have a community, we're looking from the outside and can therefore see how bogus it is that men take out the trash and women can't do math and, you know. Yeah. Let alone what you were saying. No, that, you better not talk about your body. You better not mention menstruation, for heaven's sake, because everybody will go crazy. Yeah, I I was thinking about that over the weekend because, you know, oh, man, on a daily basis, it's very, for me, I'm stuck on a daily basis trying to figure out just how we're going to survive um, <laughs> the, like, stress of this presidency. <laughs> Um, <laughs> you know, just like figuring out like, okay, so where am I going to get the like, wherewithal to just go do work or like talk to friends or something today, as opposed to paying attention to the, mm -hmm. to like the implosion. Um, yeah. and one thing that I was very grateful for this weekend was just thinking about how my queerness like gives me a way to see white supremacy and how fucking grateful I am for that because, you know, I grew up in the suburbs. I grew up in the suburbs and um, around a lot of Republican folks and in a really conservative religious family. So I, things could have gone a different way for me. You know, I was fed certain things that – not I was fed certain things. I was fed white, white supremacy as a – you know, like Christopher Columbus, what a good dude. Things like that. <laughs> and <laughs> and so I'm very... Yeah, me too. Yeah, and so I'm very grateful because, you know, now at this moment where, like, the shit is really hitting the fan, I am so glad mm -hmm. that I can see the truth because I really... It, it really could have not been true for me. I really could have been on the wrong side yeah. of this. I'm yeah. very grateful to not be. And I think, well, I don't know. I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I know that I still have these deeply entrenched racist habits to this day that I'm still working to undermine and stop doing. And I, I whenever I do like a panel, I've told my manager, I won't do a panel if there's not a person of color on it. Like, that at least has to be a baseline of, in any conversation I ever have, it just can't be a bunch of white people sitting up there. But I mean, it took me a while to get to come to that re realization, you know? I do, I do know, because I, yes, I think that's, a, I think racist habits is a really good, like, turn of phrase. I would agree with you. I do struggle with that. And that's, yeah, it's like freeing your, your mind from a prison is how I feel. You know, I just feel like repeated 
lies, repeated falsehoods were were taught to me at a very young age. And mm-hmm. queerness has been one way of making a connection for me, you know, where I'm like, this is actually my family member. So I can't think these things about my family member. Um, and I'm so glad that I have that because that's just not, I think that's, and you know what? That shouldn't have to be how we do it, right? Like it should be, it should go beyond family. It should go, you should be able to see justice and all that stuff. But like, we're human beings. We're not perfect. We're flawed. And so that is one way to help break your brain of that prison is to see the other people in your community and the people that you consider family members and then just say like, oh, wait, I'm getting all this shit on the internet or I'm getting, you know, um, hassled for having short hair or like whatever it is. And then knowing like, oh, and yet that is like not the same as like being profiled by the police, (laughs) right? I mean, like there's larger systemic issues and I'm just really grateful for that right now. Really grateful for my view on that right now and that I keep being able to uncover more because I, because it, because I have family members that are having really different experiences than I am. And I mean, queer family members, chosen family members. I know. Well, most of us were taught like the pie metaphor that there's only there's only a certain amount of pie. <laughs> if I give pie to someone else, I just pick pie because I like pie. <laughs> if I give pie to someone else, you know, I'll have less pie. And it doesn't work that way. If you give respect to someone else, respect for both of you grows. Yes. You know, wonderful in what you were saying. Yes. We're all taught the scarcity mentality and separation mentality, but it's quite the opposite. Hey, Queeros. This episode of Query with Cameron Esposito is brought to you by Epic Reads and the new sci-fi fantasy novel Heart of Iron by Ashley Poston. The New York Times bestselling author Victoria Schwab says Heart of Iron delivers a delightful cast and nonstop thrills. I love thrills. The pages flew by and I couldn't put it down. Why would ya? Don't miss this epic adventure perfect for fans of Six of Crows or the television show Firefly which I happen to like a lot. Pick up Heart of Iron today, available now wherever books or audiobooks are sold. Today's episode of Query is sponsored by the new Earwolf show, Condabalu Brothers, Hari Condabalu, and his brother Ashok have a new podcast here on Earwolf. It's called Condabalu Brothers, and you can check out the first episode in your podcast app, Right now. You might know Hari from his stand-up. He's been a guest on my other podcast, Put Your Hands Together, or from his earwolf show, Politically Reactive. And you might know Ashok as a performer and former member of the rap group Das Racist. They're like a pretty impressive family. Their new show is taped at comedy clubs across the country from Brooklyn to Hawaii. You can witness two brothers as they occasionally acknowledge their live audience, find out whether find out why World War One is overrated, and learn why pizza should not be your favorite food. It's fun. Subscribe to Condabula Brothers now in Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or on your podcast app of choice. Queeros, you know we love our sponsors, and one of the sponsors on today's episode is the Night Call Podcast. What? Yes, from Grantland alums Molly Lambert, Tess Lynch, and Emily Yoshida, who I actually know and think is very cool. A new weekly podcast that keeps you lonely, keeps you company during lonely nights and strange days. Hey, every Monday. These bicoastal hosts will sit down for a free jazz blend of pop culture, internet culture, and just enough half-baked conspiracies to keep things interesting. You'll figure out why Molly thought Billy Joel was Italian. It's the meeting place between alien documentaries and the television show Frasier. It's a podcast as vast as space and as timeless as infinity. What else can I possibly say except that if you want to know if Paddington 2 is really an allegory for Brexit, this is the podcast for you. If you have a burning question you need to answer or a conspiracy theory you just can't crack, you just drop them a line with your night call at 24046-NIGHT. That's 24046 
How many fours did I say? That's 240-466-4448. And they will offer you their best advice on life, love, and the coming apocalypse. Night Call is available now on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and all other listening destinations. Injoa. Right. Where did you grow up? Chicago, right? You talked about it. Yeah. I grew up, I grew up outside Chicago. Yeah. Where did you grow up? Oh, right. The cliffhanger. <laughs> Don't worry. I brought it back around. We've come around to that. Um, I grew up in the middle of the woods in Pennsylvania. Oh, wow. Uh, what kind of in the middle of the woods? Other, <laughs> Where do you go from there? Do you have siblings? I have an older brother and an older sister. And were there other yeah. homes nearby or were you guys like... Absolutely not. So it's like the three we of had, you in the house in the woods. Well, it's so interesting because they were... My mom is, was, has never been willing to admit it, but there's like a few months between my brother and sister. And then there's six years between the middle kid, my sister and me. So I always suspected mm, maybe there wasn't a lot of forethought involved in me. And they were away at college by the time I was like a middle school kind of finding myself kind of person. So it was almost like an only childhood, really. Yeah, I have a younger sibling who's seven years younger than me. So I know exactly what you're talking about. Where, I mean, I was, I remain very close to her, but. My older sister and I were already out of the house. Same thing. Yeah. Seven years younger mm-hmm. and 10 years younger than my older sister. And so she she's mm-hmm. like very much the baby in our family, but then very much also has like a special relationship with my mom and sort of has closer friendships than maybe I had as a child because I had my older sister with me as like a sort of a, yeah. I don't know, sidekick or whatever, twin kind of a feeling. Um, so you were in the woods hanging out, coming, coming to like figuring out yourself who, where did you go to school? Did you go to, was there a town nearby? (laughs) Uh, yes. Um, it was, it was a bit of a drive, but there was a town called Spring Grove. Big town, little town. And I went to high school. Oh gosh, little Teensy weensy. I don't even know what the population would be. I mean, there was a there was a paper mill where they would grind up trees and and make paper out of it, and that's what everybody did in that particular town. And there was a school there, and I went went to school in that particular district. And I was saved by magnet school. Do you know what that is? Yeah, yeah. It was performing arts magnet school, and so. I didn't have to do gym class my junior and senior year because I was doing dance class at the at the magnet school and I got to go away for half the day and not be, um, you know, bullied when I was in 11th and 12th grade. Were you bullied at a younger age? Oh, heck yeah. Sometimes by people in my own family. Oh, wow. Cameron. <laughs> wow. Um... The expectation uh, for LGBTQ people. Go ahead. The expectation. Well, yeah, I think it is often true for LGBT folks. And I also think that, um, like, kids who are conditioned or born male um, also have a special place in that bullying because it's, like, so verbal and so sort of spoken and... Like for me as a as a kid, it was a lot more about like cues, about like long hair and um, marriage and like pleasing some you know future dude or whatever, right? But yeah, I feel like the difference for you know for kids who are raised as dudes is like is just people telling you to your face. Like you are, you are to this, you are to that. 
which I didn't really get. I didn't really get like you are too boyish because people were just like, she likes sports. <laughs> That's fine. Um, did you get some of like you are too this? Like, was it named and presented to you? Oh, um, yes, in many ways. But uh, to step back for a second, so you, did you, I can't remember, you grew up in the city proper, or you grew up in the suburbs? Yeah, I grew up in the suburbs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that not even like at school, your teacher, or a religious leader or something, you got the message that you were not okay, or you are, right? Right, but I think it was just delivered a little differently. You know, like, I think for, again, because, like, we do, you know, we raise kids in a binary way. So, like, women, kid, kids that are raised as women or as girls, I think, have sort of like a, it's a string of, like, it's like sexual purity stuff. And it's mm-hmm. um, a lot of, like, looks-based response, a, little, a lot of looks-based feedback. It's like, you know, perhaps harassment or sexualizing at a young age but i think that the difference is that it's not like there isn't necessarily um usually i think like the same name calling with like the same words for instance like the f word that would mean a gay dude like the d word yeah yeah like (laughs) the the d word is like not a word i ever heard growing up the one that would be more mm. applicable to me. Like, that's not a word I ever was around. The F word is something mm-hmm. that, like, flies from the mouths of babes. <laughs> so I just think there's, like, a different sort of way that sure. kids are triangulated. It, it's not, neither is, neither is better or worse, but one of them, I think, is a little bit more, like, verbal, taunting, outspoken, um, like, direct messaging versus sort indirect? of... Yeah, sort of, like, indirect messaging, which I think is what I got. Um well, from my vantage point, it's not that rosy of a picture because I think it's related to how just women and people who are perceived to be women are discounted altogether. Fair enough. Sure, we don't even count, so don't call us a name. <laughs> That's you know what? That's probably true. Oh shit! I, I think it's like <laughs> if you go back to like the 1880s and 1890s, nobody even thought that they were lesbians because women don't do anything, do they, with their lives, right? They're just objects anyway, right? And to have this concept of um, needing to police people for their gender, yeah, male, male male-identified, whatever, designated male-at-birth people get, get it, and they get it really hard. And But I don't think it's a utopia that female, female identified and designated female at birth. Don't. I think there's a real reason for that. I don't think it's a utopia either, but God, you just like reorganized my brain because you're totally right. It's because we're useless. (laughs) I, so now. I did not say that. No, no, I mean, no, I mean (laughs) the, the perceived value by society. Like that's real. You're right. You're totally right. And so, yeah, the one, the person that matters is like the person who's going to protect the household or whatever. If in the, you know, ridiculous, like medieval slash earlier than medieval slash forever, uh, you know, mm-hmm. designation of things. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So then you're well, getting can feedback. Can I say one more thing? Ooh, you can say many more things. Go ahead. Okay. I don't want to cut you off. No, I like it. I like there the back and forth. It's hard when we're on the phone, but I'm hearing you and go. <laughs> I know. It just means we're both enthusiastic. Be <laughs> you said something really brilliant, and I have to underline it, because what you were implying, which I don't want to be an implication, I want to drag out into the light and just and make sure that this is what you meant to say, because I think it's amazing, is that there's... So from from my perspective and part of what I talk to students and teacher groups and religious groups and people that I go and talk to, they're the problem, one of the many problems with there are only two genders is that it makes two separate genders, which then society builds on that to make two unequal genders. 
it would be one thing if it was just separate, but it must be separate and unequal. And so if I, as a non-binary person, that is who I am deep down inside, but also I love the fact that I can just mess around with all of that stuff and undermine the separateness. Yeah, that is what you were talking about. That's exactly right. And that is, thank you for saying that and bringing that out because I think that that is, well, any, Yes, yes, you're doing great work for everybody. I mean, really, I, the number of conversations that I've had with with folks just sort of about like, so expanding creates more freedom. You know, like we were talking about earlier, expanding language is positive and expanding options and types of people and types of people you've seen absolutely can work hand in hand with you know, feminism and queer theory and all of these, and yeah. they're all, it's all, it's all a, we're using, it's a, it's a toolbox. So we're just using like the best word we know for the movement that is about creating, you know, social justice for all, right? And you're exactly, mm-hmm. you're exactly right to point out that creating, I mean, I used to, the word I used to use for just what I do in my presentation to the world is gender fuckage. It's not the same because it's not like rooted in a, I don't consider myself non-binary. I, but, but like, I still think that uh, when I'm, course. when I'm on stage wearing a suit, like that creates space for women to yeah. wear suits or for yeah. anyone to wear a suit, <laughs> you know? And so I think it's, I mean, Marlena Dietrich in a suit. That yeah. Cool. Exactly. Exciting and, stuff. Yeah. Super exciting. Yeah. Right. So yes, the more space that is created, the pressure is t- taken off for everybody. And th- that's 100% yeah. true. That's how we're the walking metaphors. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you're just, you're we like. start a band of walking metaphors. <laughs> it sounds very much like the, the walking. So <laughs> do they only play Bengals covers? I don't know why. It just seems like that would be true. Um, Close your eyes. <laughs> give me your hand. So when, I'm a front person. I hope you know. You're gonna have to. I know. I mean, you sounded you sounded great. Uh, so I'm yeah, not, I'm not gonna take that from you. Why would I? Um, I'll just be the DJ, right? The, there's got to be a DJ okay. in every band now, sure. right? That's a thing. Sure. Um, okay. So you had you you coming from that. You know what's another thing I just want to point out right now about sort of your story because we're going all over the place, which is great and oh, yeah. and fun. Um, you saying, you know, I'm from a rural area, essentially, in, in the woods, and um, a thing that I think we're being, like, that's being kind of positioned and cemented that I really disagree with is this idea of coastal elite um, thought mm-hmm. and coastal elites mm-hmm. that are, like, coming to shove whatever down the throats of like ordinary everyday Americans. I mean, first of all, ordinary everyday Americans always means white people, which is, you know, racist. But then also um, on top of that, it always means straight people and it always means cisgendered people. And I think that what is wild about queer folks, you know, a gift that we can bring to, to kind of battle back on that is that we are from everywhere. Like, we are from mm-hmm. all walks of life, and we have lived in all scenarios, and we have been raised in all environments. And many people yeah. move to larger cities, and many people don't. You know, when I travel to do my work, I like – people will, will sometimes phrase a question, like a, if I'm doing an interview with a local paper or something like that, the, the interviewer will ask, like, so you're here, and, you know, the people that come to see you, they're not usually your audience, and you're, you know – coming to whatever it is, North Carolina. And so is it stressful for you to be? And I, and I'm always like, no, like it is actually my audience. You, you might not realize it, but like at this point, our shows sell out. It's people that want to be there. We're not going and like speaking to people who hate us. We're going and speaking to us. Like it's, (laughs) it's whoever is me that lives in that city (laughs) because we live everywhere and we're from everywhere. And also, you use your talents, your charm, your humor to diffuse any sort of sense of separation from people. And well, that's part of why you you 
part of why I love you. Oh, thanks. No, that's really nice. Yeah, that's the point. Yes, exactly. We're not separate. Exactly. I mean, that's what I get out of it. Why would I do this job if I didn't get something from it? And for me, I just get the community, that that big energy boost of feeling like we're all one organism. It's amazing. Well, yes. Yes. And people would sometimes, I don't know, discount what you do, but it's not a, it's, they would discount what I do, too. They don't, they don't understand that just that showing up in such and such a place is a really radical thing to do and being willing. Well, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess it is. I mean, it is, it's, it's radical just to take up space. It is. I also think it's like... You nat- guess it is? No, I just... It you is radical. You places. You're brave, Cameron. Don't try to argue <laughs> with me that you're not brave. I just think it's inevitable, too. I mean, I don't know. I feel like... It's such a gift to connect with the people who I think are exactly who I would want to talk to. I mean, it's it's rad. I can't believe that, you know, to live that life is is like nuts. I can't believe I'm here and that I get to do my job. Did you think you would do this? Do you think you would do what you do? Oh, gosh. I mean, when I was a little, little kid, I used to go into the barn and put on sparkly costumes that I had gotten at the thrift store and stuff like that and twirl around and and be like a star. That's what I wanted to be. <laughs> I guess I made it. I don't know. I guess I'm doing it. Certainly did it on buying for a while. Do you have a... You need, what? Oh, do you have a day job? Do you have another no. thing that you do? Nope. I just didn't know. Nope. I'm an author. I'm a activist i travel the country talking to people um there's some things on the horizon book two is on the horizon a tv show is on the horizon but you know how these things go oh yeah of course more than that oh yeah of course oh yeah and i also didn't mean that in at all a disparaging way more so just like i don't know i didn't know i didn't know how your time or life was you have a job you should get a job. Oh, no, I said day job. I said day job, which is how comedians would say it to each other. <laughs> because you can actually, you can also have a, a day job in the industry. You know, you can true be true. a comic yeah. and have a day job um, working in yeah. comedy um, or in the entertainment but, industry. But you made me think of something. I was just in a rural place that shall remain nameless. And I was going to university to talk to their GFA, which if you're not totally hip or if a listener is not totally hip to it, is not the Gay Straight Alliance. Uh, they changed all the names to the Gender and Sexuality Alliance. Very inclusive. And so I was there to talk to the Gender and Sexuality Alliance, took an Uber to the school and then took an Uber back to the hotel. And it was a rural hotel, so there was like a parking lot. And the Uber drops me off and I'm crossing the parking lot. And I'm wearing a dress and this pickup truck pulls up behind me. Guy leans out. Why are you wearing a dress? Uh, are you gay? <laughs> so I don't, I, I don't need to put a certain accent on it, but it, he just started yelling at me in the parking lot. And I tried to, you know, my best using my terms um, to diffuse the situation. And I ran into the hotel and I was telling my partner the story, and he said to me, I'm so really sorry that happened to you. The kids that you went to talk to actually live there. Meaning I, I was living, right. right? But they're living with that every day. Right. So it really makes what, what Cameron does and what I do very important. To go to those places. Yeah, that's a really, that's a great response out of your partner. Good, good job, partner. <laughs> um, and <laughs> good job, partner. Yeah, that's real. Yeah. Well, I do think also. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, you're right. I have a kind of a glass half full attitude, just sort of in general as a human, and then. You know, I was on a bus rolling through towns when I, when I just the, you know, I just got back from tour last week, and Rhea and I were pretty. Rhea, my wife, and I were pretty like um, insulated in that 
you know, we're on a tour bus and then you're going into venues. I mean, you're interacting with the part of the city that you want to interact with, right? It's you can choose Mm -hmm. the things that you see. Um, But I another, you know, part of what, what you're saying is reminding me of. So I came I came away thinking, oh, like we're all in it together and, you know, we're all fighting. And it was so amazing. All the people that I met that were like charged up and, you know, grateful that we were there. But you're right to remind me of, you know, what I've been saying when we had Obama as president, too, and when when things were changing for the better every day. It's like just because things are changing for the better every day doesn't mean that some something is solved. I mean, none of, none of this has been solved. And I think that's maybe that's part of the reason why saying something like, you know, coastal elite um like why a phrase like that drive, makes me so angry. It's because it's like so reductive of people who live everywhere and the daily struggles that those people are are fighting. I mean, it's also like dismissive of, yeah. of you and I, people who live in New York and L.A., as people who like don't count for some reason <laughs> as human beings. Um, but then it also, you know, it's kind of the same point I was making earlier. It's, it, it just denies that there is anybody who's having this experience that you and I are having or the experiences we're having, anybody that's like us somewhere else who is who isn't just like struggling you can't you don't just get you don't just like come out you don't just figure out who you are get a bunch of money and then move to the coast <laughs> like that's like not it's like not our those are not our life stories correct um, and I think what you're pointing out is that it's a really it implies that we're judging people and excluding them and I think there are human beings who judge and exclude some of them live in the country and some of them live in the city. And there are human beings who are inclusive and filled with love and spread love and try to have wide open arms and invite everybody in. Right. I think that's the, that that's that thing where, you know, privilege um, can disguise equality as oppression. So, like, you know, you've lived your whole life... <laughs> More, please. I don't you know, know what you're talking about. Go ahead. Well, just like just the idea that like if you've lived your whole life with privilege and then somebody else gets a little bit of what you used to have all of, then now that feels to you like a, a massive painful disservice has been done to you. It's like why anybody would have a, Yeah, it's like why anybody would have a problem with affirmative action, right? Because those are white people spots that are being stolen by people of color as opposed to n- no like education should be for all right you know so it's the same sort of a thought where it's like i've used two pronouns my whole life how dare you come and take two pronouns from me you know what i mean like when it's really just what mm-hmm. you're talking about is equality and you're talking about um positivity and you're talking about inclusion but when when you've never had to expand, when you've had a stranglehold on everything, then that feels awful. I mean, I think that's part of the reason that, like, the the president, that our president was elected is, like, it's not part of the reason. The reason he was elected is the anger that people felt seeing a black president. Like, there's a black president, so therefore I am scared that I'm— had something taken away from you. Yeah, that I'm not the most important person in this country. Um, and so scared that I'm not the most important person in this country. Right. So that's, that's what, that's what you're going out walking, you know, in a dress is also doing right. It's, you know, for whoever was in that pickup truck, it's like, wait a minute, are, are people that, that were, uh, designated male at birth who like, are being themselves and are wearing a dress. Like, if that person's okay, then, like, my truck isn't as important <laughs> or whatever. You know? You, like, really challenge that person when you're taking the thing well, away from them. And the thing is yeah. not anything that's being taken away. Yeah. And you, you again, hinted at it earlier. It's someone who... Is, so, in general, people look at me and they think, man, now... Fine. 
I know that's not true for me, but they have that automatic instinct because they've been trained to. And for someone like me to wear a dress is me giving up my privileged position as a quote-unquote man. But you going on stage and wearing a suit is you trying to raise your status. Do you know what I mean? I'm speaking in the, like, that's, these are not Jeffrey's views. I'm speaking in the, like, poetic metaphor of what goes on in some people's minds. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's why you can't wear... That's why that's why that's why uh, I couldn't wear a pantsuit to the White House. There's there's like rules against that, right? Um, Are there? Yes. Yeah. Hillary would have wiped that right out. I I know. Well, it well it was not. These are literally Trump's rules. These are literally the president's rules. Oh right. Yeah. Um, And so you know. Anyway, yes. You're yes. You're right. And you know. Then you could gender. Oh, then you could what? I, just, I mean, I think you could. And then you can dissect all the day long, like, why you and I would even want to wear these clothes. Like, is that where does that come from? It just, I guess the, at the end of the day, sometimes I just think it's like, how much, um, how much like time and energy does one have to have to like give a shit about what somebody else is wearing? <laughs> You know what I mean? Because we can talk about this and we can talk about like, what, like, well, do I actually want more power? And is that why I want to wear a suit? You know, and we can talk about we can we can talk and, you know, you and I are coming in and we're trying to like, you know, put the best foot forward and we're trying to educate and all these positive things and, you know, life goals and all this stuff and the ex- and we both have missions and it's our full time, you know, like it's our jobs to do this. Like this is so such a big task that we can be employed to do it. And all of it can just end at like, why the hell does anybody care? <laughs> like, how do you have this much time and energy? Mm-hmm. Like that is what I just I will never get over till the day I die. Probably. Can I attempt to answer that for you? Oh, sure. Yeah, you can tell me why other people have so much time and energy to care whether or not you wear a dress and I wear pants. Do it. Well, (laughs) I'll do my best. I'm put on the spot. (laughs) Um, Because everybody is taught to self-police. So whoever was in that pickup truck was taught that anything feminine about himself needs to be eradicated Police, hidden, set aside, cut out. And it is only natural. It is the next natural progression that he would want to do that to someone who is outside of him. Me. You know that, I mean, of course. Yeah, that makes sense because then there's also the unfairness of it all, right? If you get to live your life without that. That's so unfair. <laughs> Without shame. Yeah, that's so unfair to that person, right? <laughs> um, yeah. it, it's one thing to be queer and miserable. Right. But if you're queer and happy, ooh, you better watch out. People are going to come for you. <laughs> as you know, as both of us know, look at our Twitter feeds, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, absolutely. And um, I'm so grateful that you're doing what you're doing and <laughs> I that hear the happy. wrap up voice. Is that what we're doing right now? Well, yeah, we, it is. It's right I around that time. 17 hours long. <laughs> we've actually already <laughs> hit, we've already hit an hour, which is amazing. I don't even know how that happened. Um, I am amazed by it. So I have the final question of, of the, of the query podcast to ask you still. Please. And I want to get it in, which is, uh, for you to shout out a queero, which is just somebody, um, or it could be a place um, or thing that made you feel confident and strong in the person that you are today. Wonder Woman. Awesome. Awesome. Specifically, I, I don't know. Do I do I get to say anything? Or oh yeah. Answer. And oh yeah. Be? No. Give us the details. Okay. Because I used to, the Linda Carter version was syndicated. Um, 
on on uh, we only had four networks when I was growing up on the farm. So one of the networks had had Wonder Woman on in the afternoon, and I tell this whole story in my first book about going out and pretending to be Linda Carter in the woods, and it gave me confidence. It gave me a sense of justice. It gave me a sense of the truth. And it gave me a sense of um, self-acceptance because she is just that rad. And then come to find out that there is a whole lot of, um, if you read about how Wonder Woman came to be, there are a lot of queer elements and a lot of... um, liberating stories about what she was doing in the in the 1940s for heaven's sake i know are you going to see that that new movie are you going to see or have you seen that professor (laughs) marsters i don't know do you think that i should because sometimes hollywood misses the mark shall we say i have heard it's very good and i've also heard that part of the reason it's very good is uh the director angela robinson who's rad so, yes, yeah, I think you I should. I think you should give it a shot for that reason. Um, and did you like the movie? Did you like the Did you like the Wonder Woman movie? Did oh, you go see it? Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> I Absolutely. know. Me too. <laughs> loved every second. I know. Yeah. Me too. Uh, Just well, like I have loved every second of this podcast. Yeah. Thank you so much for taking the time to call in today it was awesome to talk to you i can't wait to meet you guys can't wait to meet you as a as a human being um and then yes. jeffrey do you want to what's can we do you want to shout out a title of of a book or something else that where folks can continue to engage with you like obviously your, your twitter jeffrey, your twitter feed is amazing yes jeffreymarsh.com j-e-f-f-r-e-y M-A-R-S-H.com. And the first book is called How to Be You. Get it for yourself or someone that you love or both. Awesome. In this world. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Have a great rest of your day, okay? You too. And I'll hug you in person before All right. you long. Take care. Bye. Okay. Bye. Hey, I'm Hari Kundabolu. And I'm Ashok Kundabolu. We're the Kundabolu Brothers, and we're excited to tell you about our new podcast on Earwolf, Kundabolu Brothers Podcast. It's a live podcast where we discuss some of the harder issues of the day. You will be witnessing two brothers talking to each other and occasionally acknowledging the audience. We discuss such topics as World War One, Keenan Thompson, Pizza. We're excited for you to listen to Kundabolu Brothers every Thursday on Earwolf. And don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you like to listen. This has been an Earwolf production, executive produced by Scott Ackerman, Chris Bannon, and Colin Anderson. For more information and content, visit Earwolf.com. Earwolf.